Well, church, this morning I'm going to take a few minutes and give you an update on our Kingdom Impact Initiative. We went through a study last fall that talked about time, talents, and treasures. And some people worked very hard uh, to talk to us about that. We talked about a impact center that we would like to build. But let me show you the results of what happened. Um, and we're having some trouble with the system. Great. Um, is that going to work? Okay. It's not working back there. Thank you. So when it came to our time and talent, we had uh, 2,300 plus responses from people regarding uh, stewardship of their gifts uh, and energy here in this body, which represents 40% of our worshiping community. Uh, We wanted to have a much higher response than that, and you can still sign up on the internet uh, for that particular opportunity. We believe that it's incumbent upon us to use our energies to advance the kingdom. And so we want to give you the opportunity to do that as part of this body. So so please note that. Um, We had uh, Impact Center pledges, 1.5 plus million cash either given or cash in hand. We have a debt reduction of $149,000. So so we would ask you to continue to give and you know, to honor the Lord with your tithes and offerings. Now, the Impact Center is going to cost present-day expenses five to six million dollars. And so as we've looked at this and, and thought about it, we, we believe that, quite frankly, our body said it quite loudly, at this time, we're not willing to go forward. And, and we as an elder body and leadership team says, then we're listening. And so our commitment, next slide. Maybe I can do it with this one. Our commitment, okay. Our commitment is is to move forward with the building, the impact center, but only when we have the lion's share of money in our hand, the the vast majority of money. We think in the present economic situation with uh, the situation uh, in our country that we need to be very, very careful. We as a church, we've always been economically conservative. Our indebtedness is, is very low for a church our size. But at the same time, we want to, we want to work on addressing the debt situation. We want to uh, uh, go and we're looking at present traffic patterns and how we can get you off this campus quicker. We know a lot of you sit in line a long time and you have a chance to think through the sermon several times before you get to the stoplight. We're, we're working on traffic patterns and making, making us more accessible and making the egress better. We want to, and, and the, the next thing we want to do is we're going to put up a temporary building on our property that will be a large meeting room, especially for on Sunday morning, our high school and another Bible study. And during the week, that money for that building is coming out of our existing funds. So so there's another picture. That's what we're going to do. It's going to be a temporary building, uh, but, but that's where we're going. So so quite, quite frankly, you, know, you, you trust the sovereignty of God, and you believe that God is working and speaking through his people. And, and we're going to wait and we're going to continue to talk about this and give you updates and say, this is where we think the Lord wants us to go, but not until we have the lion's share of the money in hand. Uh, so, so please hear that. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a time to really trust the Lord and look to Him. And, and quite frankly, to be people who say, you know, we want to be honoring to the Lord. Let me just put this plea in there. 
We have a membership class next Friday and Saturday. I, people say, you know, well, what, what about membership? Membership is very important. Membership is very important. Let me give you an example you may think is a little bizarre. P- people will say to me, do you pull for the Gamecocks or the Tigers? And I say, well, both. I, I went to the Citadel, so I can, I can appreciate And I, 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 this is, I've had people get a little bit tense to me and said, it is impossible to pull for both of them. And they kind of get, they kind of get in my face. Well, yeah, I think it is. And, um, there's a difference between saying this is my church, this is where I have planted my life, this is I'm standing shoulder to shoulder with these people to advance the kingdom, and saying, you know, yeah, I, I, I attend there. I think church membership is vitally important to not only come under the authority of those men who have been set apart by the Lord to give spiritual guidance. But that, but also there is a there is a line you cross existentials. That this is who I worship with, and this is the people I, I walk with. This this is the group that I'm going to. You know, I read a, a book recently, and, and the man said he called his professor. He called his his mentor, an older man, and he said, "You know, tell me about church membership." And he said, "Well, as you as you move to this new university in Chicago, and you look for a, a church, just hear this: you will learn." And you will die with these people. These people will be at your funeral. I said, wow. That's true. So we need to stand shoulder to shoulder. So we we celebrate God's providential goodness and we trust him for what he's going to do in the future. We're going to keep this in front of you. We're going to give you periodic updates. But that that is where we are. Okay. All right. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul and Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. Well, see, last week we said that before Paul launches into discussing doctrinal issues that are weighty, He establishes the fact, he said, I want to remind you of this salient, central fact. You are in God the Father, and you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have union with Him, and because of that, you have grace and peace, or flourishing, God's God's universal blessing poured into your life. The unmerited love of God poured into your life by Christ. And I said last week, we need to know who we are in Christ. And as we know who we are in Christ, he says, now go for it. Today we're going to look at this little phrase, your work produced by faith. And mention your labor prompted by love. Next week, your endurance inspired by hope. Your work produced by faith. Your work produced by your faith in the reality of Christ. One quote about faith is this. Faith is the firm and sure knowledge of the divine favor towards us. The unmerited favor poured into our lives by the work of Christ. It is Christ alone. Your work produced as you understand and deal with and think about your faith. Now, now, now faith, if you study the systematic theology, faith has three components. First is knowledge. You have to know certain facts. Secondly is approval. You say, I believe, I believe those facts to be, to be true. But then comes trust, where you look to or you you commit your way unto Christ. For example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, 
The Bible says this. He says, brothers, we know that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words. That's the knowledge component. Not just with words. You've got to have knowledge. You've got to have the words, the knowledge. Our, our gospel came to you with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. With power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. And, and that's where the approval and the trust comes in. Then he says later, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You see, you know things, and then you say, I believe they're true, as the Lord works in your hearts. And then you trust in, you believe in, you rely upon Christ and His love for you. That is, that is faith. It, it is a turning. It is a going to Christ. Matthew 11. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You come. You come. First of all, you're weary and you're heavy laden. Uh, sin has separated me from the Holy God. Life is tough, heavy laden. Come to me. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. See, to me, that's the repentance. You, you say, Lord, you are Lord and Master. Tell me what to do. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You see, there's knowledge there's approval, then there's trust, there's dependence, there's looking unto Christ. The, the old Puritans talked about three types of faith. The first two are worthless, the third saves you. They said this, there is a historical faith Many people raised in a Christian context, I fear, I don't know people's hearts, and you don't either. And let me just say this, as, as we deal with this situation of, of what faith is and what it looks like, you are never to make a statement saying, I know he's a believer, I know he is not a believer, because you don't know his heart. That's the Holy Spirit's job. There's been great error in the church when pastors stood up and said, this pastor is saved and this pastor is not. It's just, just don't do that. Okay, but now I said that. I, I fear that there are many people who grow up in a Christian context and they can say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. They, they, they know that. They know that stuff. But it's just like also knowing that Australia is in the Southern Hemisphere. Or that the coldest month of the year is January, February. It, 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 it has, it's a knowledge. But, it, but the Bible says that type of knowledge does not save. The Bible says that the demons know there is a God. Big deal. He says, and they shudder. So there, there is historical faith where you just know the facts. But you've never cast yourself upon Christ. And then they said, and there's a second type of faith, which is, they said, they call it a temporary faith. It looks like faith, but it doesn't last. And they would go to the sermon, excuse me, this parable of the sower where the seed is broadcast, 
And Jesus says certain people receive it with joy, but it has no root. So it doesn't last. Here, even with joy, they may be swept in at a youth rally or a college movement. Here with joy, but there's no root. Then there's the third, which is saving faith. Where people understand, approve, and cast themselves upon Christ. And when that happens, according to this passage, there is a response of a desire to be pleasing to him. Your work produced by faith. Your labor prompted by love. Not trying to gain God's approval, but out of a response that says, thank you, almighty God. To me, there there comes a point in time, and I, I don't know when it is. It's either a moment in time or it's a season in time where you cross from knowing facts about Jesus to glorying and delighting and trusting in Jesus. You cross a line somewhere. Have you crossed that line? Or is it just you know facts? And Martin Luther said this. He said the Christian faith is all about personal pronouns. I am his, he is mine. I've been crucified with Christ. It's personal pronouns. The, the, the glory, the majesty of faith. Let me, let me give you an example. This is from the life of C.S. Lewis. One of my heroes died in 1963. Lewis, as a young man who taught at Har- to Oxford, was an atheist. He was wounded in World War I and came out of that a very embittered person. Uh, mother died when he was 10. His father was distant and uncaring. He was an atheist. And so he goes to Oxford. He's teaching. He meets some people who are Christians. And they talk about the evidences of God in creation. And then Lewis says, after dealing with that, he writes this in his book, Surprised by Joy, his autobiography. You must picture me alone in that room at Magdalen College, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed, perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England, close quote. Now, here, here, listen, that was, that was a conversion from atheism to theism. He was not a Christian. He said, I, I acknowledged that there was a God. I acknowledged that there, someone existed whom I so desperately wanted not to meet. And, and then he started down the trail to faith. What happened a few weeks later, he said, the most hard-boiled atheist I'd ever met, a fellow professor named T.D. Weldon, came into his office, sat on the chair and said, Rum. So what's wrong? He said, he said, it appears that it's true. So what are talking about? He said, it appears that the Gospels are true. He said, after studying the ancient manuscripts and studying the Gospels, it appears that they really can be true. And he was dejected by that. And Lewis said it shook his, his world. That The most hardened atheist said it could be true. And then he says, if you're, if you're an atheist or an almost atheist, you need to be very careful over what you read. He says, don't read. 
And so he started studying. And he said, I studied the Gospels, and I came, he said this, I came upon the appalling claim that Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be the I Am, the name of God, which must not be spoken by any human being, the name which means death to utter. And then he started reading a guy named G.K. Chesterton, who was almost at the end of his life when Lewis was reading him. Chesterton, a very committed believer. He read a book called The Everlasting Man, and in it Chesterton says that no great moral teacher ever claimed to be God. Not Mohammed or Micah or Malachi or Confucius or Plato or Moses or Buddha. And Lewis wrote this. Not one of them ever made the claim to be God. And the greatest and the greater the man is, the less likely he is to ever have made that fantastic claim. He says, if you'd gone to the Buddha and asked him, are you the son of Brahma? He would have said, my son, you are still in the veil of illusion. If you'd gone to Socrates and asked, are you Zeus? He would have laughed at you. If you'd gone to Muhammad and asked, are you Allah? He would first have rent his clothes and then cut your head off. Which is the ultimate sin in Islam is to say that God became a man. Or just, just God so holy other. And then he says this, the idea of a great moral teacher saying what Christ said is absolutely out of the question unless he is God. And then he said this. On a faithful evening on September the 19th, 1931, he had dinner and a several-hour conversation with Arthur Dyson and a man named J.R.R. Tolkien. And these men talked about the reality of Christ. They talked about the resurrection. They talked about John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and Lewis was stymied. And he says this, 12 days later, after that, he says, I passed from non-belief to belief. And here's how it happened. I just, every time I read this, I just laugh. Well, he said, this is what happened. I was on a motorcycle heading to the zoo. And when we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when we reached the zoo, I did. <laughs> he said, he said, yet I not exactly spent the journey in thought, nor in great emotion. I just came to believe. Now, he says that some people get, have great emotional experiences. Mine was just, I stepped from darkness to light. So, I, I say that, see, see, faith has components. It, it is knowledge. It is acceptance of fact. But then it's trusting. It's banking all that you are on all that he is for you. Then, secondly, in this passage, you see faith as a, as a growing experience. A compelling experience. Your work produced by faith. See, your, your, your labor prompted by, by love. Um, something that's compelling, quote by Richard Baxter, or John Calvin, and first of all, Baxter, he's in the sermon outline. Richard Baxter says this, the great Puritan. He says, Call a sluggard from his bed or a glutton from his feast. To receive a kingdom that is undefined and ill-conceived, and he will grudge you if he observes only what you would take from him and not what you would give him in its stead. He said, you just call, call a glutton from his feast to not do that unless you give him something more glorious and more attractive and more life-embracing. He'll grudge you. See, the kingdom of God is glorious. 
Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like a man that's plowing a field and he has a box and there's a pearl inside and he goes and he sells everything he has to buy that field and he just glories in the pearl. And for the, for the joy set before him, he said, for the joy he goes and he sells his field. John Calvin, this quote says, such boldness springs only from confidence in the divine favor found in Christ and salvation. So true is this that the term faith is often used as equivalent to confidence. This is what Calvin is saying is that faith and confidence and faith and boldness are the same thing. As I thought about this, here's what really hit me. And that is what I call the wow factor. The wow factor. See, work produced by faith, labor prompted by love. See, the more you know of Christ, hear me, please. The more you know of Christ and his plan and his grace and his goodness, the more glorious should be our worship, our, our, our confidence, our, our, our boldness. I, I can't, I can't get over that. You grow in, it's what I call the wow experience. For example, let's say you like the outdoors and you've been raised on the East Coast and you've been to the beautiful Smoky Mountains and, and they're, they're beautiful. And then one day somebody says, you know, there's some cheap flights, let's go and let's backpack in the Rockies. And you go to the Rockies and you go, I mean, the Smokies were, man, they're beautiful. You go to the Rockies and it's, Wow. No. And then the next year somebody says, you know, let's go to Wyoming and let's take in the Tetons. And you go to Jackson Hole where the Tetons just erupt out of the valley. Just, and you go, wow. And then a few years later somebody says, man, let's do trekking in, in Nepal. Let's go to the Himalayas. And all of a sudden you go, wow. No. You get it. Or, or you're four years old. And all of a sudden... Your mom gets bigger and bigger. And you say, Mom, what's going on? And your mom says, God is making inside of me a brother or sister for you. And you go, really? Wow. You know, that's pretty, wow. But then, but then, we'll skip the talk, okay? Because, okay. But, but then, but then you go to high school and you take biology. And you study the growth of the baby in the womb. And you, you hear things like this. On the fifth week, the baby is one-seventeenth of an inch. And yet, the baby's heart and circulatory system are taking shape. On, on, on week six, it's an eighth of an inch. I, mean, I can't even... And listen, basic facial features will begin to appear. You go, Good, you're kidding me including an opening for the mouth and passageways that will make up the inner ear. This is... This, you could, wow. And then you, go, you say, how about the, oh, week eight? Now you're, week eight, mammy, you're half an inch. And your baby will develop webbed fingers and toes this week and, and wrists and elbows and ankles are visible. Amazing. And the heart beats at 150 beats per minute which is what my heart does when I go up one flight of stairs, but that's beside the point. You know, you, and you go, and you, and you step away and you go, <laughs> but then you go to college and you take a course in genetics and you understand how all this comes together and you, it is so mind-boggling, you can't even speak. And then you get married. 
And you have the unspeakable privilege of being in the birth chamber as a dad when your baby comes out and you cannot speak. If you try to speak, you would just weep. <laughs> See? To me, that's the way it is in faith. I mean, when you come to faith, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So somehow, God's son died on the cross for my sins. It gets you in the door. And if that's the only message you ever preach, man, we're going to preach that. But then you start studying about God adopting you into his family and loving you before time began. And when you were dead in your sins, God saved you. And you go, wow. And, and then you start studying about the fact that the Holy Spirit causes us to cry out, Abba, Father, dear Father. And you go, wow. then you say about the power of the Holy Spirit to change people. Wow. And you, the, the more you study, to me, the deeper your, your worship should be. That's, and that's, that's what, I'm, what I want to communicate, to, to understand the, the greatness and the majesty. See, that editorial years ago, and this editorialist said this, those who know the most are the most oppressed. And, you know, I thought, so I'm saying, you know, there, there's a little bit of truth to that. I, you know, I mean, like the movie Contagion. <laughs> well, or, or if, when you sit back, I had somebody who's lived in the Middle East for several decades tell me two years ago, said the most frightening scenario I can think of is a nuclear-empowered Iran. And it, to me, it is absolutely devastating to think that there are two countries potentially that are going to have nuclear weapons like North Korea and Iran. I just, or, or just think about, or think about other people that have nuclear weapons and you go, wow. And you go, talk to any physician here about airborne diseases or diseases that are resistant to antibiotics. I mean, really. That's why you always squirt in your hands and watch them, you know. But then you back up and you say, well, but for us, the Lord who spoke the heavens into being says that the Father has numbered the hair upon our head. That not a bird falls from the air without the Father's knowledge. And, 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 and I think of an old hymn that says, I am his and he is mine. It says, things that once were wild alarms cannot now disturb my rest. Closing the everlasting arms, pillowed on the loving breast, oh, to lie forever here, doubt and care and self-resign while he whispers in my ear, I am his and he is mine. Things that once were wild alarms. I mean, God's got it. The Father's got it. My job, my family, my children, my health. He's got it. I talked to the men Friday morning about this marvelous passage in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus is sleeping and these hardened sailors are in the middle of a storm on the Sea of Galilee and the boat is about to go down. I mean, these are sailors. These aren't landlubbers. These are sailors. They've seen storms and they're about to go down and they wake up Jesus and they say, Lord, don't you care that we're about to drown to death? Jesus says, peace be still and everything went choo, 
And it says they were terrified. And they said, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Well, I'm so thankful that the Lord is the captain of my boat. He's in my boat. The wow factor leads us to incredible trust. Now, now, and then he says this. He says, we always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. And I thought this issue of thanksgiving must permeate the Christian faith. Thanksgiving, we, we, we labor, we work out of thanksgiving. There's a statement here. He says, but, but does not this doctrine of salvation by faith alone make men careless and profane? Answer, no, no. For, for it is impossible that those who are implanted in Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. In, in other words, if I'm truly in the Lord and, and I see the glory of Christ, I want to live for him. We're saved by faith, Ephesians says. And the next verse says, we're his workmanship creating Christ Jesus to do good works. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that, that, that God, by His Spirit, gives us perspective as you walk the life of faith. Gives you perspective. I was reading this week a letter written from an old, old, old missionary to a young missionary. It's a great statement. This young missionary is on the field. He's, he's struggling to love the people that he's committed to reach because they're just different. They don't listen. He's just struggling. This older missionary writes and says this. He says, he says, listen, if you begin every, every day of life with your experience and your issues and try to work to the middle where God is, you'll never get there. But he says, if you begin every day by looking at the middle, God is, he's my heavenly father. He loves me with an everlasting love. And you go out from there, then you can handle the experiences and the difficulties of life. And I thought, amen. Amen. Thanksgiving. Rejoicing perspective. Uh, I'm so thankful that, that, that it's not in vain. I'm so thankful that what we do counts. 1 Corinthians 15 says, be steadfast and movable, always abounding, knowing that in your Lord your, your labor is never in vain. And he's talking about the resurrection reality. Because of the resurrection reality, everything that we do, whatever we do, is not in vain. What we do counts. Let me show you this guy. This Picture. That's it. They can't see it. That's a picture. Well, I can tell you anything. I make a total story now, but, uh, that's, that's a picture of a guy named Sisyphus. And Sisyphus in Greek mythology was a guy who made the gods mad and every day Sisyphus would have to, to push this huge boulder up a mountain and right as he was about to get it over the top, uh, the whistle blew, day ended, and the boulder rolled back down to the valley every day. Sisyphus, every day, was his punishment was to push the boulder to the top of the uh, mountain, and it came back. And this guy named Albert Camus, who wrote a book. Albert Camus was brilliant, died at the age of 46, I think it was, in a car crash in 1963 or so, a French philosopher. Wrote a book called The Myth of Sisyphus. And here's the way the book ends. He says, The struggle itself towards the heights is enough to fill a man's heart. One must imagine Sisyphus happy. That doesn't work for me. 
I, I mean, Camus is brilliant, but that doesn't work for me. The, he says, what? He said, you've, you've got to find your joy in the struggle. Now, I, I don't think so. See, my, my joy comes knowing that because Jesus is, my labor is not in vain. It's not the struggle. I was uh, walking down the street the other day in, um, in a shopping place, and there was an old, 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 old man, I mean, real old, stooped. And he was leaning over, buckling his wife, I think, in the car. She was old. Buckled her in, very gently closed the door, and then got in the back seat. And somebody that I thought his daughter or caretaker was driving them away. And uh, I thought, if that's the only thing I have to look forward to, I'm going to take a hard right in the next store which was the ABC store. Seriously. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to kill the pain. Because that, that, there's nothing that, 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 that makes me want to, I can't wait to be that old. <laughs> but if, if there is an eternity that awaits me and that death opens the door to a glory that's indescribable, I can live there. I can't say with Camus, we got to picture Sisyphus happy. You cannot picture Sisyphus happy. Come on. If life is futile and there's no hope, there's no answer. But listen, if there is a glorious God who made the heavens and the earth and he is triune in the fullness of time, he became a man and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for my sins and he rose victorious over death and he ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty and one day he will bring history to a close. If that's a true story, I can go. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. Your work produced by faith. Your labor prompted by love. Lord, we thank you for the day that you've given us, and we thank you for the, the way that you take simple concepts in Scripture and build us into people of faith. Lord, we ask that you would uh, make us men and women who, who, who really walk by faith and not by sight. Second uh, Corinthians 5 says that. That we would walk by faith and not by sight. And uh, we thank you that in you is life and hope and peace. And that you take the broken, tattered remains of our life and our obedience and our desire to honor you. And it's not in vain. I don't fully understand that. But you use what we are doing today to build your kingdom. So do that, Lord, I pray. May we be faithful, men and women. In Jesus' name, amen.